your host, Lindsay Schultz, founder of Feed Your Can, a lifestyle brand that empowers people with food allergies to live fully. You'll learn life hacks and mind snacks so you can thrive each day. You may need to restrict foods, but never the fun. Our kids navigate eight categories of food allergies altogether. We're learning every day. We refuse to let fear hold us back from living life. We welcome you to feed your can, even when some foods you just can't. I want you to meet Christy Winkles, who's a registered dietitian. She believes everyone can eat well, even with food allergies. As a mom to two teenage boys with food allergies, she has read a lot of food labels and can sniff out cross-contact like nobody's business. In 2007, she started her blog, Eating with Food Allergies, where she shares allergy-friendly recipes and nutrition tips. Christy has worked as an outpatient dietitian for over a decade, helping people manage everything from heart disease and diabetes to celiac disease and food allergies. In her private practice, she focuses on helping food allergy families go from feeling overwhelmed by food allergies to planning safe and healthy meals the whole family can eat with confidence. Christy lives in Minnesota with her husband, Jeff, and sons, Gavin and Garrett. Hi, Christy. Hi, Lindsay. Thanks for joining. We're going to jump right into it. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. I think a lot of people are eager to hear your story, too, on how you found yourself in this space as a food allergy dietitian. Would you mind sharing your story with us? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a food allergy mom first. I have two boys who are now teenagers. My oldest son, when he was nine months old, had a bite of scrambled egg. Within minutes, he was in full-blown anaphylaxis. A couple days later, we had allergy testing done and found out he was also allergic to dairy, eggs, of course, wheat, peanuts, and soy. Soy was a false positive, but we added barley along the line. So he still avoids those foods. And then my youngest son came along two years later. We found out he had an egg allergy. That's what got me in the food allergy space. I wasn't a dietitian at the time. I had a degree in nutrition, but didn't complete the steps to become a dietitian. Long story, but what it boiled down to is I didn't really know what I wanted to focus on within the nutrition world. And when I had these kids with food allergies, I started to find some fun in experimenting with cooking and baking without allergens. And I wanted an outlet for that. So I started my website, Eating with Food Allergies. And then I kept hearing from people, there aren't dietitians who know about food allergies. There's a need. And so I was like, well, bingo, that's my area that I want to focus on. So I went and completed the steps I needed to become a dietitian and started my private practice. And my practice is part-time. I also work in other roles, mostly heart disease and diabetes. But in my private practice, I get to focus on food allergies. That's a really interesting personal path, how it changed into a professional passion and really serving a need. How old are your boys now? They're 15 and 17. So you've been at this journey for a while. So if there are new families who are listening and have younger kids just coming onto this caregiver journey, it sounds like you have a lot to offer as you've gone through 
different ages and stages. Absolutely. And I think over the years, it's never ceases to amaze me how things are always changing. So just when you figure something out, there's a new challenge to tackle. <laughs> that sounds like parenting in general. <laughs> that, <laughs> Very true. I feel, I feel like I need that reminder in front of me a lot. <laughs> So in your private practice, working with families to try and navigate food allergies, it sounds like restrictions, celiac disease, other sensitivities, you really do run the gamut. What are some of the common challenges that you help people overcome? I mean, the predominant question with everyone I work with is what can I eat? You know, they come to me like, what can I eat? There's all these foods that I can't have anymore. Eating is routine for most people. Most people don't think too much about it. And then when you have to remove things from your diet, it becomes a lot of work. And then when you layer some fear on that, like so many of us have after seeing our child have a serious reaction or experiencing one ourselves, there's that fear associated. You know, as a dietitian, I'm helping people see the possibilities and trying to get over that fear of eating, which takes time. So you meet them in their starting point, a lot of times in a very fearful state. So how do you move them along in that process? Well, one of the things that I'm always really adamant about is that people are working with an allergist. I'm not going to look at allergy tests and try to interpret that that's for a board certified allergist to do. So that's always my first thing, you know, make sure that you're working with an allergist so that we can whittle down the list of foods that you're avoiding as much as possible. And then when you know you're working with an allergist, they can help give you the confidence that these other foods are okay. I think a lot of the people that I see initially are like, well, I'm allergic to this one food and I saw online that that's related to this food. And so should I be avoiding this food too? And then it sort of becomes a rabbit hole where we're just eliminating things and it's, it's too many things. You also talked about with your own experience, some false positives, soy in particular, Mm -hmm. being one that you were able to overcome, which makes me wonder about the false positives and really, as you said, working with the food allergist to get to a point where you can really whittle down that list and understand what are the true allergies. So a lot of times that involves oral food challenges, which if a person Mm -hmm. is already scared to eat the quote unquote poison that they're trying to avoid, do you encourage them to work with their allergist and do those oral food challenges? Or is that a little bit of that line where you don't cross over? I do. I mean, I encourage them to let the allergist guide them on that. But I have personal experience with this. My oldest son, two years ago, had his lab testing done and the allergist suggested that we do a wheat challenge and then baked egg. She wanted to do wheat first and then baked egg. And we had it scheduled. We were ready to go. But my son had so much anxiety about it. I just thought, I don't know that it's going to work because he might believe he's having a reaction just from that anxiety. 
So I messaged our allergist and I said, I don't know if this is worthwhile to do, but I want to push the envelope here. I don't want him to have a more restricted diet than he needs to. And she just said, Christy, he doesn't have to eat wheat. It's okay. Let's just give it some time and wait till he's more comfortable. And we actually have a wheat challenge scheduled for next week. We'll see. So he worked up the courage along the way and really came around on his own terms, it sounds like. Right. It's a balance of encouraging, pushing, but also knowing that it's their choice. We all have to decide what's best for us, but we can use that team, those experts around us to guide us. That's wonderful. I'd love to follow up and hear how that goes. Really crossing our fingers, that one gets incorporated back into the diet. And if not, we're in an age where thankfully there are a lot of other alternative foods and we're in a much better place than we were decades ago. So absolutely. There's lots more options. So what barriers do you find the trickiest to navigate with food allergy families? I think the fear that we're talking about is one of the big ones. That fear drives us to over restrict. I mean, it changes our relationship to food, right? Food is central in so many things in our lives. We celebrate with it. We comfort ourselves with it. You know, there's so many places that food pops up. When suddenly food can do so much harm, it changes everything. So it's helping people see food can be enjoyable. We just have to do it a little differently. So my work with people is figuring out how do we do that? What works for you? What can you do? What are you comfortable with? And it goes in stages. You know, we're not going to tackle all that in one session. We're going to work together for several and find that comfort zone. How many sessions on average would you say you have with a patient? I would say most of the people I've worked with have been maybe one or two sessions, but I've found that that's not really enough. I don't feel like people are leaving confident, ready to tackle the food world. (laughs) So my, my newest coaching program is three months. So we have six sessions together and then ongoing conversation, you know, over email during those three months. I find that that's better. It's more time to work together as a team to find out what's going to work. There seem to be some misconceptions. We're talking a little bit about over-restricting foods, but there are a lot of areas of confusion with what is a true food allergy versus a sensitivity, et cetera. Where are other misconceptions you find in helping people when they're managing their food allergies? Well, I think that's a big one, the difference between an allergy and intolerance, how strict do I need to be, you know, and it really does depend on what you're dealing with. Sometimes I've had people come to me who have had food sensitivity testing done, so not the same as an IgE response where that RAST testing, but they've had more testing for IgG response. Usually there's a long list, 10, 20 foods. They're trying to cut all of that out of their diet, which is really hard. That's tricky because they've had this test and they're seeing it in black and white. Scientifically, there's not evidence showing that they're accurate or really diagnostic of food sensitivities or food allergies. It's tricky because it's a lab that's marketed. It's out there. But unfortunately, we can't put a lot of stock into that. So it's convincing people of that. That's tough sometimes. 
So I've been very interested in what allergists have to say about these different tests, because I see people coming to me with them all the time. And what I'm hearing from allergists is that IgG is testing really for exposure. It means you've been exposed to the protein at some point, which then you're going to end up with a lot of false positives. Okay. That's helpful versus the IgE mediated response where it's starting to attach to the mast cells, the basophils, and really signal that histamine response. Right. Exactly. That cascade of events that causes an allergic reaction within minutes to maybe up to two hours, not usually longer than that. An IgE response is quick. Thanks for helping to clarify that. And I totally see the partnership that you're speaking of and why it's so important to reinforce working with that board certified food allergist. It sounds like there almost could be a trifecta of the dietitian, the food allergist, and even a counselor to really help overcome some of that fear, right? I agree. Yeah. Our children experienced failure to thrive. We had premature babies, twins, when they didn't gain enough weight, that just hit to my core. And I felt oh, I know. You know, biologically wired to protect these babies and here they are not thriving. And it felt like a big blow to us as parents. What yeah. are some tips for families that you work with who struggle to meet these nutritional needs? Because sometimes having yeah. food allergies is one thing, but just getting enough nutrition is an entirely separate issue. It can be really hard. And especially with kids who also without allergies can be fussy and not eat whatever you put in front of them, you know, so there's that challenge too. But I would say, first of all, not to beat yourself up. You know, I think every food allergy parent, well, so many that I talk to, you know, it's, it's, we just have to put it out there. It's hard to feed kids with food allergies. It's just not an easy thing to do. So getting support, you know, finding a dietitian who can help navigate the food allergies, finding things that can bridge the nutrition gaps. It depends what, how many and what the allergens are. As a dietitian, that's what I do. I help people find what will work based on what the child will eat. A lot of times it's figuring out where can we sneak in more calories? Where can we add some extra fat? Can we increase opportunities to eat? With kids, they're not going to take down a lot of calories at one time. You know, they're busy. They don't, they're not going to sit and put their attention on eating. It's having more opportunities to eat, not necessarily grazing all day, but having a routine where there's meals and snacks and just time to get extra calories in. I know in our experience, we were trying to maximize the calories and the nutrient-dense opportunities, like you're saying, to feed our babies at the time. And so we would sneak in olive oil and applesauce, but (laughs) you know, that's good though. Creative. Yes. That's how we had to do it because we did, we had to be creative to your point. I remember a dietitian giving us the advice for our son who we needed to bulk up as well that Ensure was a good product. And at the time, I think pea protein was one of the ingredients. And we're like, no, we can't do that. Um, And so it does feel a little bit like you're stuck in this labyrinth and a maze that sometimes it's hard to get out of. I think starting with what you can eat and then working with a dietitian to find these creative additive opportunities is definitely a key. 
So thank you. What would you say to people with food allergies who might have had reactions in the past and now they're afraid of eating food altogether? Mm. Boy, I've experienced this with my, especially my youngest son. He has you know, just an egg allergy. So sometimes I think, oh, it's just an egg allergy. Easy. Cause my other son has so many allergies. But the truth is when you have a reaction to food, it doesn't really matter because egg could be in a whole bunch of foods. That fear is very real. I mean, he had pizza from a chain. We checked the ingredients to make sure that it was safe and we ordered it and he had it and he had a reaction. We could not figure out why. We called the restaurant again and said, he had a reaction. What could have been in it? And they were like, we don't know. It probably was cross contact with something else at the restaurant. It made him scared to have pizza. He hasn't wanted to have pizza very much at all because he's worried. Even if we know it's safe, he's worried about having it. I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. We have to be patient in some cases. I mean, of course we have to eat. We can't just stop eating, but we have to be patient. We might not have a broad diet for a while as we're getting over that fear. I think it's, again, important to work with the allergists to do repeat testing and and make sure that we know for sure what foods we need to be avoiding and have that reassurance too. And then, you know, you mentioned a therapist. I mean, I think that's an important part of the puzzle too, is being able to talk with someone about that anxiety and how to manage that. That's hard. It is. It's important for caregivers as well, just to have that outlet. I know I needed one. When we had anaphylactic reactions in the past, I would have a lot of trauma triggers and it was hard to move forward. I wasn't even the one experiencing the food reaction, which really puts the point on identifying that fear and working through it and doing the dance with food and social events, which is a tricky one because food should equal fun and it can't, it can, Mm -hmm. but it's a very counter association to how our society tells us to look at food and fun and social events. And so we have to untangle that web. Very true. And that takes some work. Absolutely. Speaking of entangling, can (laughs) you untangle for us? We get asked this a lot. Celiac disease, a gluten intolerance, and a wheat allergy. They all seem to get combined into this food allergy bucket because the symptoms can be gastrointestinal symptoms and look very similar, but they are different. Can you help us understand the differences? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. When my son was diagnosed with the wheat allergy, I was confused about that too. Does that mean it has to be gluten-free? You know, so the difference is a wheat allergy is again, IgE mediated response. So a reaction is going to happen within 15 minutes to maybe a couple of hours. People with a wheat allergy can have other grains like barley and rye oats that have gluten. With wheat allergy, you don't have to avoid gluten. You're just avoiding wheat. It's a different protein that the body is reacting to. With celiac disease, that's also an immune system response. It's an autoimmune disease where when we eat gluten, if you have celiac disease and eat gluten, 
the immune system sort of attacks itself when the small intestine is exposed to gluten. That causes damage to the small intestine. It then leads to malabsorption, those GI symptoms that you mentioned. It can lead to nutrient deficiencies. In fact, that's how a lot of people find out they have celiac disease. Maybe their iron was low. They were feeling tired. Iron was low. It was because they weren't absorbing iron very well because of the damage in their small intestine. People with celiac disease have to avoid gluten, and that is in wheat, barley, rye, some oats. They have to do that really strictly, or that damage can happen in their small intestine. But it's not life-threatening. If someone gets gluten, they're not going to have anaphylaxis or have a life-threatening reaction like you can with a wheat allergy. And then we have a wheat intolerance, sometimes known as non-celiac gluten sensitivity. In this case, didn't test positive for celiac disease. It's not a wheat allergy. Wheat just doesn't sit well. It causes bloating. It causes gas, diarrhea, you know, all those unpleasant GI symptoms. People just feel better avoiding gluten. Unfortunately, there's not good testing to diagnose that. It's usually just, I feel better without it, so I'm not going to eat it. But again, not life-threatening, certainly uncomfortable, also not necessarily causing damage in the body like celiac disease. That's the difference between the three. That's super helpful. I am clarifying it in my brain three different ways. Wheat allergy is life-threatening because it is an immune systemic reaction. Right. Celiac disease is autoimmune. Your body attacks itself and breaks down Mm -hmm. that intestine and leaks out potential nutrients. Right. And an intolerance or a sensitivity is more of a digestive issue. Is that fair? Right. Yes. Thank you. That was really good education. Let's talk about food labels, the free from foods, if I can say that. It Uh doesn't always mean healthier options. So sometimes when I'm studying the label, and I don't know nearly as much as a dietitian or nutritionist would, but I find that sometimes products can include more sugar if they're compensating for flavor or more salt Mm. or more fats to compensate, right? Do you have any general guidance as to how people can manage the right amount of sugars and fats in a serving size? And I know that's probably a little more advanced because some of us are trying to just get our kid to eat. Mm. But for those who are trying to manage their healthy lifestyle as well, do you have any Mm -hmm. tips there? Yeah. I mean, I think what you said is so true. People with food allergies generally are eating healthier than the average person because we're having to cook more and probably not relying on fast food or a lot of convenience foods, you know. So already we're a little bit ahead of the game, nutritionally speaking. Yeah, I think that's something to keep in mind. As far as, you know, how to kind of dissect that label and decide, is this a healthy food? It kind of depends on what you want the food to do for you. For example, if I'm picking out a snack bar, I want something that is going to stick with me or my child for a while. I don't want them to eat it and then be hungry in 15 minutes, right? We're always dealing with that, right? It feels like our kids are bottomless pits. We want to give them something that's really going to stick. 
I look for something that's going to have some protein, a whole grain that's going to have some fiber in there too. And I do look for low added sugars. Now labels do have to, it didn't used to be this way. In the last year, they have to say how many grams of added sugar are in the food, which I think is helpful. But it's not the only thing I look at. You know, it's definitely something to take into consideration. Some foods are just strictly for enjoyment, like candy. We're not going to mess with trying to make that healthy, right? It's for enjoyment. Those kinds of foods can fit in a healthy, balanced diet too. I know too, there's precautionary labels on the foods and sometimes we could miss those, right? So it's important to understand that manufacturers are not regulated across the industry in the United States on what those labels have to say about precautionary labeling. So they're required to say contains nine top allergens when sesame enters the picture in 2023. Maybe 10 years ago, I had heard of a study. It looked at foods that had a precautionary statement and tested how many of them actually had the allergen in them. But I think the percentage was high of the foods that had the precautionary statement actually had traces of the allergen in it. So the message was, you should pay attention to these advisory statements. I feel like that's kind of changed over the years. And I'd be very curious if they were to do that now, if they'd get the same results. The fact is, we don't know, which then leads us to be calling food manufacturers and ask questions. And, you know, it's time consuming, but it's what a lot of us have to do. Definitely. It is a struggle on top of a struggle, but heavy lifting is worth it if that's the food that is consistently in your pantry and the kids keep exactly. asking for it. And gluten labeling, that's changed. I mean, if something says gluten-free, they have to at least be testing for gluten and proving, being able to show that it has less than 20 parts per million. That label does mean something. It doesn't have to be on there. Like, for example, I'll see foods that I'm looking at the list and I'm like, how is this not gluten-free? I don't see anything that would have gluten in it. But maybe the company isn't going to test to prove that. So maybe there's cross-contact or something. That's kind of why the gluten-free labeling gets a little tricky. It's like you have to be your own investigator. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So you've been at this game for a while. You've got 17-year-old and 15-year-old sons. What are some food allergy life hacks you think everyone should know? That's a great question. There's probably a lot of things I've learned over the years, but one of the things that someone told me early on, I think, was to assemble your team. Get your people together. Your allergist is definitely in there. (laughs) Drive that point home. The nurse that your allergist works with. And then teachers, school nurse, caregivers, daycare, grandparents, family, and educating these people, empowering them to help you look out for your kids, I think has been one of the biggest things that I learned early on and have done. One year when my son started middle school, I asked the school nurse, cool now, how do we do this? There's not one teacher. And she arranged a meeting with me and every teacher that my son would be in contact with that year. Like I walked into the library and they were all there. And so it was a chance for me to tell them Gavin's story and 
answer their questions. And, you know, those things are what have just been so helpful over the years. He sounds like a unicorn human for sure. Would you say that just a strong relationship and partnership led to that? I mean, she really went above and beyond. Yes. I mean, my son, when he was in preschool, we had kind of a near miss reaction. I learned then that I need to be more vocal. I'm not someone who's, I want to be a low maintenance, right? I probably didn't talk to the teacher enough about the allergies. Um, They were doing like a craft. So it wasn't eating, but he broke out in a rash. So at that point, I called the district nurse and just said, can you help me? I don't know how to do this. How do I communicate these things? And from then on out, she was my partner and hooking me up with the right people. And it's just kind of being vulnerable and saying, I need help. I don't know how to do this. That's great. And being a learner, lifelong learner. Do you have any other helpful go-to resources that you rely upon and wish other people knew about? One of the things that I tapped into early on was resources from the Food Allergy and Anaphylaxis Network. Well, now it's FAIR. So that was something I think that just connected me to the food allergy community. And then that made me realize just how good it is to be in a community where people get you, get what you're dealing with. Not everybody gets it. It's kind of a different world having to avoid all these foods. Getting tapped into some kind of support group, uh, whether it's a local support group or, you know, online support groups. I do caution people a little about online groups just because sometimes there's a lot of misinformation and breeding of that fear that we can have. We don't really need more of that. And sometimes I find even myself getting a little anxiety from reading some of the things I see. Some things we have to take with a grain of salt, but I think it's really important to get that support. Yeah. You know, I struggle too sometimes with the online communities, but I recognize where that person's at. Sometimes they do need that safe space just to vent and say, here's what happened. It's infuriating. It does have a ripple effect of adding worries to other people's plates who are like, wow, I never thought of that happening. On the flip side, I've found that I've been able to sift through and almost filter a little bit of what I'm looking for so that I can protect my own self and worries and say, okay, we have been there too. We're not there right now. Now we're looking for other strategies and I just seek out what those might be. And I know, I mean, to your point about community, that's how we found each other through online, which is pretty cool. For those listening who want to be in your orbit, maybe lean on you for support and just build that community so that wherever they're at, they can take it to the next step and reduce their fears or find better nutritional options, improve their diet with food allergies. How do they get a hold of you or what's the best way to work with you? Yeah. So, well, there's social media. That's where we got connected. So Instagram, I'm at eating with food allergies, same with Facebook. My website is eatingwithfoodallergies.com. That's a great way to get a hold of me. You can just send me an email from there, uh, fill out a form to contact me. If you know people are wondering, could a dietitian help me? I do offer just a quick call to chat about what they're looking for and I want to work with people who I can help. So it's a good chance for us both to determine if it's a good fit. So people can always schedule that from my website. Great. 
And is that free or does that cost anything? That's free. Yep. Okay. Thanks, Christy. That's helpful. And hopefully people will come to you to determine if it is the right fit. I'd get your newsletter. I appreciate the recipes and the different strategies that have worked in your home. I know I'll continue to learn from you. I always say that when I meet people who are steps ahead in the journey, I look at them as mentors, right? Of people who can just share back. And I appreciate that you've done that. You haven't just taken your life and moved on. You've actually thought about the people behind you and are trying to create a better situation than what you started with. That's part of the idea of feed your can when some foods Mm -hmm. you just can't, because it Mm -hmm. is about trying to pair these growth mindset strategies with food allergies and find better ways forward, which is why I was so thrilled that you said yes to this conversation. I know I have a lot more to learn. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. It's been so fun chatting with you. Christy brought a lot to the conversation personally and professionally. Here are some of the takeaways I learned today. Number one, focusing on getting people over their fear towards nutritional possibilities is really her goal. Number two, make sure you're working with a board-certified allergist to whittle down the foods as much as possible that you need to restrict. Truly understand those eliminations. Are those necessary or is it just fear-based? Number three, working through food fears can take time. It doesn't need to be rushed. Remember, we are striving for a better quality of life altogether. So if a food challenge causes more stress, maybe reevaluate your priorities and decide, is this something we want to push now or wait until we can really work through the fear? Number four, for people who struggle with meeting nutritional needs due to so many restrictions, Remember to look for that balance of protein, fat, and carbohydrates that are nutrient-dense. Can we increase the opportunities to eat instead of just the number of calories as a whole in one sit-down meal? Number five, celiac disease, wheat allergy, and gluten intolerance can get really confusing because all three conditions, while different, can experience similar gastrointestinal symptoms. But knowing the difference is key for better nutritional paths forward. Re-listen if you need to. This was a great education. Number six, look for food with less added sugars if possible. This was a label change that was made in 2020, and it helps you understand within the free-from foods category that seem allergy-safe. Are there added sugars for taste? Knowing the goal of the food you're eating matters. Because sometimes it's not just for nutrition, it's just for enjoyment instead. And that's okay. Keeping the balance is important because there's already so many restrictions on food allergy families. So loosening up the goal and understanding maybe this is just something to be enjoyed. Tip number seven while we're talking about labels is that precautionary labeling is not regulated in the United States. So it's not consistent. If you're looking for foods that are gluten-free, you might see that label once in a while, and then other times you don't. And this is because not all manufacturers will agree to go through the rigorous testing. So it's easier to just leave off the labeling altogether. Number eight, remember to assemble your allergy care team. It takes time, education, And of course, empowerment is that ultimate goal 
for people who are part of the team to look out for your loved one living with food allergies, especially for kids who just can't advocate for themselves yet. Number nine, speaking of advocacy, advocating for food allergies takes practice, but it doesn't require you to have all the answers. If you're afraid to speak up and say the wrong thing or offend someone, approach it with humility. Christy showed with her example that sometimes it just means being vulnerable and asking for help and letting the experts step in for the care of your child with other creative strategies to keep them safe. And number 10, last but not least, is about finding a community of food allergy supporters that can help your journey and lift you up. Don't doom scroll because you're already going through a lot of stress. Just try to find people and strategies that relieve your stress versus adding to it. The community is there to support you, and you can also sift through it and find what you need for a productive, healthy life. Thanks for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share, subscribe, and leave a review. You can also visit feedyourcan.com to grab a freebie or subscribe to our newsletter. Remember, feed your can because some foods you just can't.